Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Landon Brand, co-founder of Project Ren. Ren is a company that makes it super easy to calculate and offset your carbon footprint. And this is important for one big reason. As of today, it's really hard to understand the consequences of the purchases you make. If you're flying on a plane, you're driving and filling up a diesel car, what are the ramifications of these decisions? And so in the episode, Landon and I will discuss how his last years in college led to the eureka moment of Project Ren, how these ideas manifested in the initial Ren product, his thoughts around the burden of responsibility, right? Whether this is on corporations or on individuals, the different products the team is exploring to make living sustainably a well-informed and easy decision. And finally, the massive impact potential for a company like Ren. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Landon Brand, co-founder of Project Ren. Landon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Landon, I typically start with the same question, which is just to discuss what you're working on. But I was doing some LinkedIn stalking, and I can't help myself but to start with a question about a project you were working on in college. It was in your class, ITP 499, From Ideas to Impact. And it says that you were developing the curriculum for a course that teaches students what it feels like to impact a community. Let's start there. What was uh, that project about? What was like the purpose of it? And how did it go? Yeah, wow. Okay, so that's a bit of a throwback for me. I guess there's a little bit of context. Coming into college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but figured I would, could like make art or liked coding a bit. So maybe I could be like a freelance web developer or anything or something. But I was, I don't know, very free spirited about it and mostly just interested in working on stuff that I thought was would give me like a nice lifestyle and be fun for me. And I guess throughout the course of college, like over the first few years, I started realizing like, holy cow, people actually change things about the world. Like a lot of friends that I have and people I know and people I hear stories about who have graduated have gone on to change the world in a way. And I guess I just didn't realize that I could change anything about the world. Like I thought it was just like the static thing and I fit into it and I could be like this little I could craft out a cool life for myself, but I never really felt like I could influence the lives of others. And so in college, for me, what kind of gave me that experience of starting to understand like my own agency almost was working on projects that were impacting like just other college students for fun. So a lot of it was like throwing events. We would throw like hack nights or we would throw like makeathons, And that was a lot of fun. And, and you could see people would come away and they would have learned something new. And that's when I started to realize, okay, what I do actually affects other people too. And that's really cool. And I like that feeling of having done something that others enjoy and liked and maybe got something out of. So with that class, we wanted to try and give that feeling to more students, especially like first semester freshmen and people earlier in their college experience. So we partnered with a professor there and just helped walk students through 
projects that were mostly for other USC students. Some of them were actually really cool. Like one group worked on this website that helped USC students experiencing homelessness by showing all these resources for homeless students at my university. And so that that was really cool to see. And I think, I hope that there's more college classes like that over time and maybe even high school classes or maybe, I don't know when you can start getting that feeling of my work is having an impact. But I really hope that we can get to a world where everyone feels like they can have, they can actually influence things about the world and make it a better place. Wow. You just sparked a memory. I saw this cool company. I'm blinking on the name, but the it starts with this broader question of how can you use technology to question preconceptions, get people to truly feel or empathize with other people's life experiences. And there was this foundation that put on an exhibit about what it's like to be uh, a parent of a child who happens to be autistic or some part of has some type of learning challenge. And what the technology did was when you stood in front of it, it was this little girl. And no matter how hard you tried, she would never look at you in the eyes. And so the technology would recognize the direction of a face from a stranger and then tell the caricature, which is like a little girl animation, to never look and would always look away. And it's little things like that. But the exhibit, the experience itself for a participant is like 20 seconds. But I'm sure it has a pretty long-lasting impact on wow, I've, I, I don't live this experience, but this is what it must feel like in some capacity. Yeah. So it rings true for sure. Yeah, I love that stuff. That's another reason I love, I like reading biographies a lot. It's like you can read through someone else's actual lived experience. And it's insane how many people who have lived and how different their lives have been. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that we've established some context and clearly you've been, an impact first thinker for a while now, which is awesome. But right around you finishing up university, you start what is now one of the most promising startups in the world of climate solutions, specifically in consumer. Maybe just give the listener some context. What is REN? Yeah. So now I'm working on REN, which is basically a website where you can calculate your carbon footprint. And then you can see suggestions on how to reduce it. And then you can offset those remaining emissions after you've reduced it by funding projects that are planting trees, protecting rainforests, or otherwise removing carbon from the atmosphere or preventing it from going into the atmosphere. Basically, the idea there is just we want to make it easy to do something about the climate crisis. And our on-ramp is basically calculate your carbon footprint, it takes five minutes, super easy. And then hopefully by the end of it, we're getting people to take some concrete steps that are really reducing the amount of emissions in the atmosphere. And maybe we can also help people think about some of the more systemic changes that they can push for to expand their impact even beyond themselves. Out of curiosity, what's the opportunity map that you thought through that helped you and your co-founders arrive at this solution specifically? 
Yeah, I see. It was a pretty iterative process for us. So for a bit more context, like you said, we were college students when we first thought of this idea. And the IPCC 2018 report had just come out saying how important it is for us to get to reach under 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming, of warming, if possible. And I guess they showed how it was possible. And a couple of my friends who were more up to speed on the climate stuff were talking to me and they were like, hey, yeah, this paper came out. It's like, it's crazy. Like, you should check it out. It's unbelievable the scale of this impact that climate change is causing. And so I started poking around, looking a bit more into it and just got really demoralized about it. What can I as an individual do that is really going to move the needle here? And what as like a planet, as a society, are we going to do that is going to get us past this crisis? So my co-founders and I got together and we're just thinking about like, all right, if we could do something about the climate crisis, what could it be? And we aren't going to be able to create like a better solar panel. It's like, we don't have that background. We're not going to be able to suggest or push for these better policies in a professional way. So we started to think about what we could do. And we came across this really awesome resource called Drawdown. It's a nonprofit that has created this list of 100 solutions to the climate crisis. And if we do all of them, that's enough to, to get us past it. It's like we're pulling down more emissions than we're putting into the atmosphere. So we were looking at that list and we were like, wait a second, most of these solutions, they're really ready to go today. Like we could just, what's stopping us from scaling this up right now and just fixing climate change within our, the next decade? And mostly we saw it was funding. It's yeah, these solutions are ready, but you know, they need, people need some more financial incentives to really put them in place. So then we figured, all right, what if we could just crowdfund all this stuff? Like people want to do something about the climate crisis and we have all these solutions right here. So let's just put two and two together. It'll be like a Kickstarter in a way. Um, and it'll be kickstarting these solutions to the climate crisis. And so we, we ran with that idea. We added this component of what people should know, besides just putting their money towards something, people should know what they as an individual can do about the climate crisis. So we added this carbon footprint calculation component. And then we launched just a really early version, maybe after a month or so of working on it. And people actually signed up to offset their carbon footprint to support these really cool projects. And they shared it, like posted about it on the internet and other places. And it just took on a life of its own from the very beginning where it was clear we were onto something. And so since then, we've just been implementing feedback, adding new features, building new parts of the product out, choosing better projects, et cetera. But I would say we didn't really come at it from mapping the full scope of opportunities so much as just taking this intuition and what felt like a seed of something useful that we wanted and just pushing forward with it, learning from people who liked it and still have tons of more work to do, iterating on it, adding new aspects, refining aspects that already exist. But yeah, I, I would say we, we never got quite got to the point where we were looking at like the full idea map so much as just taking what resonates and running with it. I'd love it. Yeah, something I read somewhere is, it just comes back to this notion of momentum. Like every additional day that you just let an idea simmer is inversely proportional to the likelihood of you actually doing it. 
So totally, uh, definitely plus one to everything you said. I want to start a bit broad and then work our way in because I have a bunch of questions around the product. But one of the ongoing philosophical or academic questions around climate footprints is, and I'm sure you get this question often, but around the burden of responsibility, right? There's part of the narrative that says, hey, there's only a very small handful of companies that are responsible for the vast majority of emissions. Shouldn't we just be focusing our attention on on them? And the other part, which is that the sum of individual parts, all of us as individuals, citizens, is massively impactful if we all do a little bit of something. To the people that fall in the first camp, what is your thoughtful take on that perspective? And then maybe bring it into you. How have you arrived at your thesis or thinking around the burden of responsibility? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to say there. It's really interesting to think about. I'd say the, the first thing I would say specifically about the notion that there's like a handful of oil and gas companies who have really been responsible for so much emissions. The trick there is if we think about how the economy is set up, it's like that energy becomes everything else in the economy. It becomes like we wouldn't have a vaccine to COVID-19 if we didn't have energy to run these like research facilities and actually produce a vaccine, right? There's so much material improvement to human lives that we've gotten from having really cheap energy from oil and gas. But yeah, now we're at this point where it's okay, we know that this is really causing problems. And if we keep on the trajectory we're on, the amount of warming that we'll see is going to cause like huge problems, millions of people displaced, who knows what it means for the geopolitical situation. So I think it's not as simple as just telling oil and gas companies to, I don't know, just shut down. It's like, we have to figure out what's going to incentivize a new economy that's built on renewable, clean energy. So I guess that's what I say just specifically about, I think there's this, yeah, there's a really pithy comment, like X percent of emissions are from eight companies or so, which is true in a sense, but also I think maybe paints it a bit too simplistically. But I would say one thing about the burden of responsibility generally, it's really interesting. In an ideal world, I think it's pretty simple to treat as like a tragedy of the commons, like the whole planet has one atmosphere. So every country should implement policy that's going to make people incentivized to emit less. Like we want to internalize the negative externality of carbon emissions so maybe you could do that by taxing people. We could have clean emission standards or clean energy standards. There's a bunch of policy tools we can do to incentivize more of the clean economy. And in a perfect world, and I think that's, I think that's the approach that we should be pushing for, but also more practically, it's like, all right, a lot of times it can be pretty slow moving to pass policy and getting global cooperation is not super simple. Like we've been trying on this for decades and I think we're getting, we're closer than we've ever been. And I'm really optimistic about what we can do on the policy perspective in the next 10 years. But also it's regardless of whose responsibility it is in an academic sense, 
I think it makes a lot of sense to just do every single thing we can to try and avoid the worst of the climate crisis because the implications are so bad. Mm-hmm. And I think you that a lot from a lot of activists too, right? Greta makes a statement by not using any planes for her travel, even though she's traveling around the world. She does it in a way that's aligned with a 1.5 degrees warming future for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good perspective to have. If everyone just felt like all hands on deck, let's do something about the climate crisis. Let's do everything we can. I think that's going to increase our odds a lot here. But I don't think every person should be like sweating every single emission all the time. It's like we just live in a world, in a system where it's so easy to emit that we have to keep in mind. No one's going to be perfect. Let's all just do everything we can. Mm -hmm. Some of the, yeah, that resonates a ton with me. It, It makes you think Operation Warp Speed. We developed a vaccine what was it? I think it was like X amount of days. And obviously there was many more months that it took to jump through the bureaucratic loopholes and approvals. But it makes you think, what is the reason why people felt so compelled to do all hands on deck when it came to COVID? And the real reason in my mind is just proximity to the problem. Like when you are truly able to feel how a certain issue affects your life or someone you love. And that is, it means two, has two implications, at least in the broader climate narrative. One, for most things, climate feels like a problem that's far enough away, or in other words, not close enough to you that you feel compelled to act now. And so on the flip, it's also interesting because from a messaging standpoint, that's what I feel is the most effective way to get people to change behavior. It's why the turtle with the straws became like the poster child for an anti-plastic. And that has its own other cascade of issues. But that there, it feels to me that there's a kind of a blue ocean opportunity to be much more explicit around how climate is affecting people today. And not many organizations, companies take advantage of that. I think a lot more people would be motivated to act and change behavior if the issue was contextualized in a way that feels much more pressing and active. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I We definitely see that. Like when there was the crazy wildfires in California, five out of the six largest wildfires ever recorded in the state, we saw a lot more people talking about the climate crisis coming to terms with, oh, this is not just some future thing. This is literally right now, I'm not supposed to go outside because the air quality is so bad because we're getting the worst fires ever because it's been drier than average and hotter than average for um, too long. Same with the fires in Australia too. You get these moments of like public awareness when they see, okay, the consequences are here today we better start thinking about what we're going to do. And I think, like you said, with COVID, the timeline has just accelerated a lot. And it's more, I'd say more generally accepted, like the idea of viruses spreading, I think is visceral in people. And really most people learn about that pretty early on. I think with climate, we're still getting education to where it needs to be, at least in the US. And I think a part of the reason for that, honestly, is 
there's these oil and gas companies that are incentivized to not do anything about the climate crisis and try and prevent action on the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe another difference with COVID is that everyone really wants to stop COVID. <laughs> I don't, no one's really that financially incentivized to, to keep it going or at, on a personal level also. I think it'd be very hard for anyone with much power to say, let's keep coronavirus spreading mm-hmm. just because it's, you see the every day now you see the death counts in the U S so it feels so immediate. Mm-hmm. Even if climate's a really long-term challenge that maybe is going to have a lot worse implications than a global pandemic could, the feedback loop is so long for it. Definitely. So Landon, let's, zoom into the Ren product as it exists today. Because I remember discovering Ren a few months back. It was, I think you guys graduated from Y Combinator, raised some money, but it's really evolved a ton. And I think the thing that's stayed constant is how freaking simple it is for your average Jill or Joe to come here calculate their footprint, and then offset it if they would like to. So uh, maybe for the listeners that don't have Ren up in front of them, walk someone who's never heard of Ren through the experience and then how you calculate the footprint through every part of that journey. Totally, yeah. Like you said, we do try and keep it super simple. So... You go to our website, you can get started pretty easily, and then you, the calculation starts just by entering your country. We kind of use that as a baseline, depending on your country. On average, there's different lifestyles, different energy sources, etc. So that's going to affect your carbon footprint quite a bit. And then you just an- answer a few more questions, like how often are you flying? How often are you driving? What does your diet look like? Because meat, especially red meat, has a much larger carbon footprint than most other foods. It's about 10 or so questions total, and you can skip any that you don't really want to do. The idea is just, we'll get you a good approximation. It doesn't usually make a difference if it's a a tiny bit approximated, like we're talking about 10% plus or minus on your carbon footprint. And in the scheme of things, we don't think it makes sense to sweat that small of a detail. It's about getting things directionally correct and understanding your place in the world when it comes to carbon emissions, I think one surprising thing that people see is after that, after they calculate their carbon footprint, they get a bit more information about how big is that carbon footprint? What are the implications compared to the average person in your country, the average person in the world? And in the US, at least, the average carbon footprint is about four times the world average carbon footprint. And you think about that, And that kind of ties back to your question about responsibility earlier. It's, oh yeah, the U.S. is the country that's emitted the most CO2. Like people here have a lifestyle that takes a lot of resources. And also this is where people have a lot of power. So we can be a leader when it comes to the climate crisis, hopefully over the next 10 years. And so hopefully we, we provide a little bit of educational context there. And then you just... Choose a plan where you're supporting a project for as as much or as little as you want, honestly. Most people choose to offset exactly their carbon footprint. So basically, 
the money they send to projects is basically exactly compensating for their carbon footprint. The amount of trees that they're growing is pull, literally pulling down the CO2 that you are personally responsible for. We see a lot of people liking that approach a lot. Others, it's like they just want to be a part of the journey and maybe they don't have much disposable income. And that's totally cool. It's just as much about being a part of something, be, being a part of progress here. And also the educational side too. So lots of folks are just doing a few dollars a month. That's great. And then at the other extreme, some people want to do more than their part. Like they see, they just basically want to help fund these projects that they see every month making an impact. And that, that's really as simple as it is. Then once you're signed up, you get emails about once a month, giving you updates on what's going on with all the projects you're supporting. We like to include lots of photos, maybe tell some stories from on the ground. It's a tree planting project. You'd hear about new trees being planted, how many trees we're working with total. Lots of times there's fun stories with like wildlife or interesting species of trees that are growing. Like a few months ago, we did a little spotlight on this tomato tree, which apparently is more common in East Africa where one of our projects is. But it's we try and humanize the experience of supporting these projects a little bit more. I love it. And then from a business model standpoint, is there, does, I'm, I'm guessing probably some nominal administration fee. How, how does Ren make money in addition to like building all these amazing tools? Yeah, right now our business model is super simple. We basically take a 20% fee on all the offsets through our platform. The thinking there being, I think 20% is about the minimum right now that we can work with where we have enough to grow. Like we can invest in marketing a bit. We can invest in having a really good team. Like you mentioned earlier, we did raise funding and that has been, that's basically been where all of our salary comes from for the team, as well as all of our marketing expenses. So we think with 20%, we can definitely get off the ground. We're definitely thinking about changing business model in the future too. Like maybe it could be totally a tip-based model or maybe there's a way to monetize different aspects of the product or tools for businesses that might let us give more flexibility around the fee. But yeah, right now we just chose the number that we thought we could really get Ren to the next level with where our ambition is to reach millions of people to take action on the climate crisis. And that's not really going to happen without paying for a really good team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd, I'd imagine if I was in your seat, the pricing model is probably the most complicated, one of the more complicated decisions that you and, and your co-founders have to make because Everything you said speaks true. You can't continue to do the work you're doing without getting supported for it. <laughs> it just doesn't work. And you can do pretty apples to apples comparison to other platforms like Gumroad and, and Patreon that take a piece of the processing fee, but in exchange, enable tens of thousands of creators to make a living creating products and content for the world. So it's a pretty fair and equitable value exchange. The one question I have when it comes to longer term incentives is like in an ideal world, right? Someone starts to lower their footprint. They start to use more reusables. They buy an electric car instead of a diesel or fossil fuel powered car. 
which means you you can probably hear what I'm getting at, but like probably lower emissions to offset, which means lower fees, which is a great thing for the world, but probably comes at odds with the long-term model. So how have you thought through, I'd love to hear how you're exploring like the longer term roadmap for Ren. You got a lot of track to run as is with consumer, millions and millions of people. But longer term, like what are some of these different models or offerings that you're thinking about that get you excited about V2, V3 of the REN roadmap? Yeah, yeah, totally. I guess as a bit of context here, we're actually what's called a public benefit corporation. So we have a legally binding mission that is in like our articles of incorporation. This is similar to Patagonia. It's their public benefit corporation as well, where their mission is similar to ours in a lot of ways, like basically do no harm, builds the most sustainable products possible. And for us, our mission is to help end the climate crisis. And so anything we do is with that mission in mind. Like for us, it's not about maximizing profits, right? Not at all. It's about getting the reason we have the fee is to get the money we need to achieve our mission. But you know, we don't need it's not like we need infinite amounts, like we know how much we need to hit certain milestones. And so that's what we have to work through work toward. But when it comes to people reducing their carbon footprint, like that's the whole point of REN. That's exactly what we want to accomplish. We definitely hope that people reduce their carbon footprint over time. Actually, now we probably have enough data that we could start looking into that. Maybe after this this conversation, we'll take a deep dive. But yeah, I'd say when it comes to long-term, like I said earlier in this call, our biggest insight is that there's a lot of people who want to do something about the climate crisis but it seems hard. And also people get shut down, like hearing about how bad the climate crisis is and like how bad you as an individual are for having a carbon footprint and for not being perfect, but nobody's perfect. So we want to add a bit more positivity there and say, okay, this is what you can do. For now, it's about calculating, reducing your carbon footprint and then funding projects that are removing carbon from the sky In the future, maybe I think we have a lot of room to improve on the systemic change side. Could we help educate way more people about the biggest actions they can take that are going to influence policy? And then could we build products to make those actions way more easy? And I think it fits into the whole ecosystem of can we just build products that make it easier for a regular person to live sustainably and push the world to become more sustainable? Just thinking a little bit about like behavioral science and kind of small nudges that can make a big difference and what is actually easiest for an individual to do rather than what is most theoretically perfect for an individual to do. Mm-hmm. Like one of the, when I've been exploring different types of offsetting applications that are designed for consumer, I can't help to just dream about the opportunities once you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that open up this app regularly to check in on their progress, what their footprint is. Like you could also theoretically build a store in there. Hey, I want to know what brands align with um, that either UN target or with just our broader value ecosystem, value system. 
Maybe you only you help people like find companies that only sell reuse reusable solutions. You put Blue Land in there. You put Byte in there. I don't know. I don't know if you've tinkered on anything like that, but it feels like, especially once you start to grow and 10x the total audience size, then there's a ton of opportunity to start layering in not just tools to be proactive on the policy side, but if you're going to be making shopping decisions, lifestyle shopping decisions, you could probably make that super easy as well for your users. Totally. Yeah. It's like we're building this community, this group of people who want to do something more about the climate crisis. So let's just keep making it easier and easier for people to do more. I think that's exactly the mindset. Uh Another thing that I've been thinking about, it's inspired by one of Andrew Sean Horowitz's social, whatever that like big kind of blog article distribution was over the last few weeks. And it's around this notion of social plus, right? Some of the most fascinating and successful consumer applications of the last few years took what was the incumbent over the past decade and added a very clear and intentional social layer. And so I'm curious to see, because I think Ren, there's definitely a subtle social layer that's part of the Ren ecosystem. But how are you thinking about social and making offsetting a status signal? What are your, kind of your broader thoughts around the opportunities in integrating social within Ren? Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's one we're definitely actively experimenting with. I think there's a few aspects to it. One is that it's good that it's easy and simple to offset your carbon footprint and it's set and forget. People love that. Also, though, people love the impact that they're having, like in feeling more connected to that impact. Like we send project updates. We have an open line of communication with everyone who's supporting these projects. And I think a social aspect that we have so far is pretty subtle. It's like making Ren easier to bring up in conversation almost is like the current focus when it comes to social. So you have a profile on Ren, you can see your impact on Ren. There's like fun, you can get fun achievements. So creating a little bit more surface area to make it easier to talk about Ren and then also climate change more broadly. Lots of times it's, it's hard to bring up the fact that the way that we're living today might be incompatible with human life a few hundred years from now. That's, that's, that's a tough conversation to bring up all the time. So making it a bit more positive for people to be able to talk about climate crisis and what they're doing about it and why they're optimistic about it rather than just the doom and gloom sort of stuff, mm-hmm. I think is a really important part of the social aspects to Ren. Like if you look at lots of these social apps that took off, TikTok, Reddit, YouTube, all that stuff, a lot of it is fun content, right? Like it's, you're sharing a really funny video with a buddy. That's really easy to do. It's much harder to be social about the climate crisis. So I think it's it's tricky to nail, but I think we're hopefully on a path there. We're hopefully chipping away at it and making progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for everyone listening, if you go to ren.co, you can click into their leaderboard. And I think this is just one example of how people, smart people like yourself are thinking about making 
impact a status signal in some way. To me, one of the the great opportunities in consumer climate apps is making impact a vanity metric. What's going to be the follower or the like in climate apps? You look at Common Stock, one of the newer um, kind of multiplayer investing apps, and they have this really cool metric called follower assets, which is a cool way of saying, hey, how much trading volume are you influencing? It's a really cool mm. new metric to enter the, the broader spectrum of, of vanity metrics. It's what keeps me, not doesn't keep me up at night, but a question that I keep returning to is, what will be that vanity metric that becomes like the star status signal that makes impact a thing that people compete after that really feel proud about gloating and humble bragging to me that's if someone can bridge that divide (laughs) that'll be super useful yeah, it's fa- that's fascinating. It's so you mentioned the leaderboard. That's a super early version. I we've only we've shipped it once. We're going to redo it this month, and then probably a couple more redos, and then we might figure out that metric hopefully. But what we've seen is that dollars don't really make sense as the metric here. Like the people who can play that game are so few, right? Like we have to have something that that feels a lot more democratic. I think the interesting thing about the metric you mentioned for common stock is like. Anyone can get followers if they really put their, if they try to, like, it's not maybe a existing symbol of status or power. It's like inventing a new metric that people latch onto. Yeah, I definitely think we need to see something similar here. I don't think it's smallest carbon footprint. I don't think it's most money spent or most carbon offset. I think it's probably going to look something more like biggest um, forest. <laughs> yeah. Even that is, I think it equates almost too closely to money where uh-huh. I don't know if people, the people who care about the climate crisis maybe don't want to gloat as much too, at least in these, when we're mm-hmm. early stages with this. So I think it might be, might look like how many people have you brought to take climate action? Mm-hmm. I think that probably a similar metric to that, common stock metric, it's what is the total impact that you've gotten other people to take rather than that you yourself have taken. I think when it comes to the climate crisis, it's a collective action problem and people want to work collectively to end it too. So I think that's another big part of how it's social is what are we doing together? What impact are we having together? Mm-hmm. I, I want. Can I pitch you an idea? Please. Yeah, I'd love it. So... I, I went through your offsetting flow and I what I really find interesting is after you've calculated it and you continue to offset, you have an option to either A, op- optionally offset last year's emissions and then one more option that's offset your lifetime emissions. And to me, I, I, I thought about this kind of notion of clean slate and um, actually creating a dedicated lifetime offset product of sorts where, mm. and you must have, and obviously you've built this already, so it's there, but instead of having it be an afterthought, like actually just creating like a dedicated almost brand 
where you go here, you calculate probably the number of adult years. So every year that you've been making decisions under your own autonomy. So if you're 28, then it'd be 10 years from the age of 18. Uh, you go through a calculator and then you offset essentially your lifetime emissions. And then you get a badge of sorts. Hey, like you're almost like a, there was that funny campaign called Who Paid 99 Cents? And the only way you could figure out who paid 99 cents was by paying 99 cents. <laughs> and you saw a leaderboard of it. So really just making clean slate or whatever it's called, like its own status symbol. And the devil's advocate, of course, is like one that is probably cost prohibitive to a, a, most people. But to me, like, man, there should be either Ren sponsored or something out there that makes your lifetime offset a dedicated product and making that a really noteworthy status symbol in some way. Yeah, I love that. I think clean slate is a good phrase too. We, Like you mentioned, we have this, but yeah, it's definitely, it's not the core focus of the experience. And I think we don't celebrate it enough, honestly. It's mm-hmm. really amazing when someone does say that they want, they want to have a clean slate. Like they want to offset all the emissions they've ever been responsible for. It is certainly cost prohibitive. And that's part of why I think the experience would have to look really different. So I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Like it needs to be almost its own product. Because yeah, we're definitely we're talking about several thousand dollars. If you're older and have flied a lot too, it, it can just be really <laughs> chunky. So figuring out how to make that kind of make sense for people, like be palatable, reasonable to pay, would be a really interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, and what I noticed in a lot of offsetting calculation flows is that there are some factors that feel out of the individual's control. I've now done this for however many episodes and Something that I keep circling back to is when you look at these average American footprint calculations, they bake in a lot of things that really are outside the prerogative or jurisdiction of the individual. Like when it comes to the type of energy you're getting, yes, absolutely. I live here in New York. I pay for Con Ed and then there's, I think we use Green Mountain Energy that in some way like hooks up to where we pull from the grid. I don't, I don't actually get it fully. So it's worth exploring, but for, it's good for some reason. We're getting clean energy in some way. But I feel like for most people, that option is non-existent. And so I, I almost wonder to what extent the average footprint is inflated or overblown in some capacity. And I only say that because I also feel like that could also make offsetting much more price accessible if you're effectively having or reducing the total cost by some meaningful percentage. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. So you're saying like only offset what you can control as opposed to the stuff that you can't control? Yeah. Like explicit decisions that you made. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I would say, I think one of the most interesting things about looking at your carbon footprint is you're saying you realize pretty quickly if you were vegan, never drove, 
did not use electricity, if you were so insanely focused on reducing your carbon footprint, you still have a carbon footprint. Like it's still there. If you live in the US, well, the US military has a huge carbon footprint and you benefit from those services, right? Or the government mail that you get delivered, et cetera. Like there's no escaping carbon emissions right now because we have built our economy around it. And so I, I think, at least for me, that's one of the most par- powerful aspects of understanding your carbon footprint is understanding exactly how small slash big some of these personal decisions are. If you're flying 20 times a year and you cut that down to 10, yeah, that's a huge change in your carbon footprint. That, that could be like 50% or more. But if you're living a, a already not flying much, don't drive much, maybe don't eat much red meat, it's like, yeah, you can probably be better, but also don't sweat that stuff so much as figuring out how you can have other impacts on the climate crisis and moving things forward. Maybe that's by funding carbon offset projects or volunteering your time to activism groups who are pushing for policy or even in your own, if you have property somewhere, you could be growing trees or something. Um, Mm -hmm. So a thousand percent. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about, yeah, maybe you should just offset the emissions that you have some control over. But I think for a lot of people, actually the appeal is the opposite. It's I've reduced my carbon footprint as much as I reasonably can. So I still want to do something about all these other emissions that I just can't avoid. Like for me personally, it's I want to live in a way such that if everyone else in the world or maybe half the half the people in the world lived like me, we'd be sustainable. Like we'd be on track. And I think it, you can only really do that at least if, if we're thinking about this from a climate and carbon perspective and perspective of people's carbon footprints, you can only really do that with carbon offsets right now. But it is really interesting to think about as like a, maybe a different pricing lever, like you mentioned. Yeah, there could be a much cheaper option and we'd, mm-hmm. we could figure out the positioning for that maybe. Mm-hmm. Hey man, I got, if you want more ideas like this, I got plenty in the docket. I'll tell you. I love it. Yeah, it's really cool. Actually, we try and get a lot of our ideas from users and just people who see Ren. A lot of the best ideas are from people who don't sign up too, because you figure out what turned them off from it and can Uh improve that. So to you or anyone else listening to this, always feel free to email us team at projectren.com. Just any ideas or feedback that you have. Hell yeah, man. So I leave off every interview with just a couple fun questions. And I'm really excited about this part because even like I was just, again, bashing like LinkedIn stalking, you were tinkering probably before high school, but even high school, you went to an engineering academy, (laughs) you've been building, you've been thinking for years. My question for you is around this notion of the idea graveyard. What is one idea you would love to work on, but you don't have the time to do so for now? It's just rotting away in your idea graveyard. Ooh, that's really cool. I'd say in terms of ideas that I actually would want to work on, I'd be a good person to work on it, but just, yeah, not going to do it right now. One that I have that's totally unrelated to climate, but I just think would be nice for me personally, so really hope someone goes and builds this, would be like some app on my computer that makes it really easy to switch between focus mode and chill mode and like checking all my notifications and messages mode. I don't know what that would look like, but it'd be really nice. I also feel like 
I guess a lot of people are working on this general sense of no code, but as someone who's always coded and I, I like that, even if I do less of it today, um, I always feel like it's way too hard to code. Like I think anyone should be able to just build software that they find useful for themselves. And I, I think that kind of unlocks this long tail of teachers could make software for their classroom or nurses could make software for the hospitals they work in. I think that would be really cool to work on too. Slash. I really hope someone builds that. I think on the, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm thinking a lot about the first one because it, it stress tested, I would say a status quo that we've come to accept that probably is unacceptable. If I look at my tabs right now, maybe seven of them are work related and like five of them are not work related. <laughs> and it just makes you think like, why do we, why does our work and fun co-mingle so tightly? If you were to create almost like a browser where you click this button, it's like work, you know, focus mode. And it's designed for things that require deep thought or creativity. Then you got passive work mode, which is like to-do lists or email. And then you got like another one, which is fun. I don't know. I don't know. YouTube. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but just the question of, is this really the best way to interact with my computer? I don't know. Just like an interesting question to ponder. Totally. It's weird. I think we're still in the early days of computers. I feel like there's a long way to go. So yeah, I really hope someone builds that. I would use it. You can email me, landon at projectren.com. I'll be the first user if you're building that right now. I'll be user number two, please. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. There's nothing left to do. I'm going to pull a Sean Evans here and roll out the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. Yeah, like I said earlier, if, if you just go to our website, www.ren.co, and if you have any feedback or ideas or anything, I'd really love to hear about your experience using the site. You can just send us a message on chat on that website or email us, team at projectren.com. But yeah, it's super helpful. And even if it's really negative feedback, you think we're totally wrong about something or design something really poorly, that would be awesome to learn about and improve so we can get millions and millions of people taking more action to end the climate crisis. Hell yeah, man. Landon, congrats on all of your early success. I, I wish you infinite success. I will be a cheerleader from afar, um, a proactive supporter. And again, thank you for just giving me a little bit of your time this afternoon. I know you're so busy, so I, I really do appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Peter. This is a lot of fun. Cool, man. Take care. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rockstar founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.